I'm going to share with you a portion of a message preached at Bethlehem Primitive Baptist Church. If you'll turn to Ephesians 1, this morning we're going to look at verse 11. As we've been looking at this Lost Truth series for a number of weeks, some things maybe you have been familiar with that you've that are continued to be preached throughout the denominational world, and then there's a few things that most of the denominational world have forgotten. As I gave you that Lord of the Rings quote, of some things that should not have been forgotten have been forgotten. And also, as I said, as we went through this, there's only one doctrinal term that is mentioned twice. And you don't need to miss that. If the Lord says something one time, it's important. But there's only one doctrinal term in these first 11 verses that is mentioned twice. And there's a reason for that. It's predestination. And I've already preached the message on the pleasure of predestination. God's pleasure in predestinating a people. Well, this morning we're going to look at predestinated on purpose because that's what the focus of verse 11 is. Now, don't forget that. You say, well, this is a foreign thing. This is something I hadn't heard much about. Now, many of you old Baptists have heard it maybe all your life. But out of the denominational world, this is a lost truth. It's lost. And God mentions it twice in his list of blessings. We need to listen up. We need to embrace it. We need to love it because God is God's heart expressed, his heart of love expressed to his people. Verse 11, in whom also in Christ also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Predestinated. On purpose. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about the meaning of predestination because we've, we've done that already. That it just means to set the destination beforehand. Like you would set your destination for a trip you're taking. You say, I'm going here. God set the destination of his people. That's what predestination means. It's not a scary word. It's not an ugly word. It's been misunderstood and, and maligned for years and years and centuries. It just means that God cares enough about his people, his chosen people, which is a multitude that no man can number. He cares enough about them that he's going to have them with him. That's all it means. It's that simple. The reason I believe that God mentions this twice here in this list of the blessings of the things that God has done for us is because of all the things that are listed, this flies in the face of man's sovereignty and it points to God's sovereignty. Man wants to think that he's sovereign and that he's in control. The reason this is mentioned twice, one of the reasons, is it tells you, you have no control over this. And when you see what you are, when you see that you're a sinner and you're dead in sins, and you've been quickened by the Spirit, by mercy, not because of any good thing or that you did, then you can rejoice in that. You say, well, if it's that way, and if I had a choice, I'd never choose him Praise God for God choosing and setting my destination. Now watch the language. He says we have an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him. God's purpose for you is to be with him. Now this this should cause our minds and our hearts to rise above our circumstances. To look beyond what is coming tomorrow. And I'm not saying walk. Through the life, through life pie in the sky, nothing's ever going to go wrong. Yes, many things are going to go wrong. But the ultimate end is that God is going to set everything right. 
I want you to think about this. Living in a society that is saturated, saturated with sin and debauchery and crime and, and selfishness. I, I believe that for some of God's children, if they're paying attention, I believe it is easier to get this into focus because it's so bad. You know, it's like whenever the police, you know, are shooting you know, just a regular old nine millimeter round. Well, then the bad guys, you know, they start shooting hollow points. Well, then the police start shooting hollow points. And then the bad guys, you know, they start uh, shooting automatic rifles. Well, then the police get automatic rifles and then they have the body armor protection. Well, then the bad guys, you know, get body piercing ammunition. <laughs> the point is the worse it gets, I believe God's people, if they're listening to God, they can shine brighter and brighter. Case in point, think about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, those guys. You can't get any worse than your country being leveled, taken into captivity, and knocked out of practical existence. And yet they shone so brightly. And Daniel was the man who was given the timeline of when the Christ would come. Child of God, I believe in these wicked times that teachings like this right here, if we're listening and we're tuning our minds to the Spirit of God, you can just shine brighter and brighter. I'll tell you this, if you don't believe that, well, I know for a fact, if you'll just read the morning news... That the wicked, the more time passes and the more wicked things get, the wicked understand their purpose because they're getting worse. And killing and maiming and assaulting and all the terrible things. You say, well, why does a young man go into a school and shoot up people? It's because he understands his purpose better than some of God's children do. He sees that there is no purpose to life and you might as well live it up now and do the most damage that you can now. Who thinks like that? Satan? You want to know why people do that? Why wicked people do wicked things? You think, how did they come up with this? It's because they understand their purpose. Their purpose is to create as much havoc as they can now and focus on self as much as they can now. And many of God's children just obliviously walk along, not even knowing their purpose in life. Well, child of grace, I want you to see your purpose. I want God's children to see their purpose. And your purpose is found in God's purpose. Focus on what your purpose is and see your purpose. Through God's purpose. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. He has purpose to save you. Now you should make it your purpose to act like he has saved you. Let me give you an example. Been to Africa multiple times preaching over there. Every time I've been to Africa. Well aside from the color of my skin which makes me stand out a good bit over there among the Africans. Every time I go there, I don't act like I'm from there. You understand? Even without trying, <laughs> I look different already. But when I'm there, when I get my room set up, Brother Asher's been with me, and he, he's seen how I do. I set my room up. I try to get some organization to it. I put this here. I put that there. And I say, this is enough clothes for this many days. These are enough socks laid out for so many days. Enough of everything laid out for so many days for this Bible study, for that service, for this ordination. And I see the end of my purpose there. My purpose there is to serve God. Thank goodness I get to return home. You understand what I'm saying? I live when I go there. Serving God, knowing that my purpose is to come back home. Oh, child of grace, if we would only live our lives with the purpose of knowing that one day we're going back home. You know, I don't care how organized and how scheduled out you have it. <laughs> There's going to come an end to that life. There's going to come a last breath unless the Lord returns. And your purpose is going to be fully known. Why not go ahead and plug into that purpose now? 
and live like you don't belong here. You see? Now, a word needs to be said here about the companion verse to verse 11. Verse 11 has a companion verse in Romans 8 and 28. I call Ephesians 1, it is the extended edition of doctrine. And if you want a concise compact version of Ephesians 1, you will find that in Romans 8, 28, and the verses that follow. If you read the language, you set them side by side and read them, they are very, very similar. Listen to the language as I read verse 11, and then I want you to read with me in Romans 8, 28. Many of you, I'm sure, have that memorized. And so let's read again, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance. Listen to the language. Being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. There's purpose. There's things working together for the good of God's children. And it's, it's interesting to me, and I'll just make this little side note, that In the Ephesians version, predestination caps that off. It starts it off like the bookend. And in verse 28 of Romans 8, you see predestination immediately after that verse. So, child of grace, I can't emphasize enough that you have a working knowledge of what that means. You can't understand what God has done for you unless you understand what that means. And if you've grown up not hearing about that, then it behooves us, it is incumbent upon us to study it and apply ourselves to it. Now, let's watch this very carefully. I was at a funeral not too long ago. And as I've said many times, you'll hear Romans 8, 28, so many funerals used in an attempt to try to comfort. The preacher usually gets up and says, well, we know all things work together for good. In an effort to try to make sense out of the circumstances of what has happened and comfort the people of God. And that is a complete misapplication of Romans 8, 28. And you say, well, what about providence? There's plenty about providence, but it's just not Romans 8, 28. Okay. And if you think about Ephesians 1 and 11, and I want to get too technical, but if you think about it, it 1 and 11 is completely tied to the purpose of God and predestinating a people. And then verse 28 and 29 and 30, it has so much to do with that. You see, now listen, let me just try to make this point. First of all, to represent that All things work together for good means every circumstance of life and all the things that are happening around us. To say that that is God doing all those things, listen to me carefully, that's a misrepresentation of the character of God. It's a grave mistake, grave mistake, and a misrepresentation of the character of God that many people put forward not even knowing it. I was at a funeral here just not too long ago, and the reading of the scripture was Romans 8, 28, and then verse 31. So the person read it like this. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. What shall we then say to these things? What things? The meat of what is talking about there is missed. Do you understand? You should never read verse 28 without reading verse 29 and 30. It cannot be understood without reading verse 29 and 30. Now let me, let me give you a practical um, application of this. I'm going to use a silly example. And then I'll maybe get some more serious examples. They come to me, and this actually happened now back in the 80s. It didn't turn out too well, unfortunately. But they come to me and they say, Brother Tim, we selected you to be on the next space shuttle or rocket, and we're going to fly you to the moon, you know, with astronauts. The first thing I'm going to want to know is how is that going to work, right? I want to know how it's going to work. Could you explain that to me? And they say, okay, yeah, yeah. We've got this dirt farmer from South Alabama who farms peanuts that's going to come in here and tell you how it's going to work. 
And the dirt farmer comes in and he says, yeah, well, you know, I can kind of tongue in cheek with farmers because I grew up on a farm. <laughs> I still live there. So he says, yeah, well, you know, Brother Tim, they're going to get you to the moon and it's going to all work together for your good. And I'm going to be like, bring me a NASA scientist and tell me how it's going to work together for my good. Tell me how the rocket's going to fire off and how the, the, the fuel's not going to explode like it has. I want to know every little detail. Even if I don't understand it, just tell it to me. It makes me feel better. <laughs> You're going to go get a tooth extracted because you got a toothache. You're going to go see Brother Luke to get a tooth extracted. You show up. You say, okay, Brother Luke says, okay, now I want you to go down to Brother Tim's office. He's going to tell you how this, these things are going to work together for your good. So you come down to my office and you sit down. Okay, Brother Luke sent me down here. He's, he said, you're going to tell me how this is going to work. I want every detail. And I say, well, you know, as an attorney, I can just tell you that Brother Luke knows what he's doing and it's going to work together for your good. Well, what if you go to Brother Luke and uh, I send you to Brother Luke and you need some legal work done? I say, go talk to Brother Luke. He'll tell you how to, how to, do, this is one of the most complicated ones, right, Brother Milam? He'll tell you how to do a sale for division in the state of Alabama with real estate. You know, he'll tell you the 15 different, very explicit details that the legislature changed in 2015 and never makes it simpler. I always make it more complicated, right? <laughs> I'm on a soapbox now. I send you to Brother Luke, the dentist, to tell you, and he just says, well, you know, Brother Tim knows what he's doing. All things are going to work together for your good. I'm sorry, that's not good enough. That's what happens when somebody gets up and says, well, you know, we, so-and-so passed, but all things work together for your good. You cannot understand what is working together for your good without hearing what he's talking about. You see? So the NASA scientist who's going to send me to the moon will give me every little detail about the things that, that the scientists are doing that will work together for my good to get me there. You with me? Brother Luke with the tooth extraction, you sit down with him and you say, I'm, he says, I'm, and I don't know all the, the things, but he, would, he says, I'm going to do this, 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 and this. And you go, okay, I see the things that are going to work together for good for me to get my tooth out. Or you come to me, if, if you want to be bored long enough, I'll go through all 15 steps of what it takes to do a sale for division in the state of Alabama on real estate. Give me details. Child of God. That's what he's talking about here. It's the details about the things that are working together for your good to get you there. We misrepresent the character of God if we say, well, just everything that happens is just working for your good. Listen, child of God, I'm not saying God can't redeem a circumstance. He's redeemed many of my mistakes and failures. I can't, I'm not saying that he can't step in to a situation and, and bring some good out of it even when he didn't cause it. You see, that's the character of God. That's the heart of God. That's the Josephs of the Bible. That's the Davids of the Bible. That's the Solomons of the Bible. You see, we want to make sure that we understand the character of God towards us. And these are the things that God is doing for us that work together for good. For whom He did foreknow. Verse 29 of Romans 8. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. That's a good thing that God is working together for your good. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, then he also called. He foreknew you. He called you. And that means he borns you again. That works together for your good. And whom he called, he also justified. When he died on the cross for our sins, that was working together for your good. You talk about the ultimate redemption of a circumstance. It looked like we lost whenever Christ breathed his last. But praise be to God, three days and three nights later, we knew that God had brought the ultimate redemption of a circumstance. And not only that, he brought your redemption in that. And them he also glorified. 
This is what I spoke about a few weeks ago, if you remember, about the gathering. He's going to bring us all back together. Child of grace. That's what Romans 8, 28 is talking about. That's what Ephesians 1 and 11 means when it says God works all things after the counsel of His own will. See? History is the story of redemption and God has stepped in many times and done things and overcome things and overruled things, even when it looked like all was lost. But when it comes to your eternal salvation, these are the things that God is working together for your good. You see, you've got to understand that to appreciate what God has done for you. So you can look back before the foundation of the world and say, praise God. You can look back to the cross and say, praise God. You can look back to, if you remember that moment in time, like the Apostle Paul, I don't remember my moment in time when God born me again. But you can look back at some point in your life maybe, or just think back, I've always loved the Lord. Praise God He called me. He born me again. And praise God He's coming to get me one day. He's going to put it all away. I want details. You understand, to get up and say, well, all things work together, you know, we'll we'll figure it out someday, that misrepresents the character of God, and it also doesn't give you any information, right? The gospel is information. The gospel is the good news. God comes and He reveals the mystery of what He has done for you. And it says, in whom we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of Him who loves us. Now, God saved you on purpose. Now, let's talk about that word purpose. Once again, the word of God and the inspired scripture comes along with its definitions and just stuns me. (laughs) It may not stun you because I may not be able to convey it like I should. But for a few minutes, let's talk about the word purpose. If you look up the word purpose, it occurs 12 times in this meaning in the New Testament. Okay, eight of those times, it's basically the word purpose you know, to intend to do something. But four of those times, it occurs as the word showbread or shoebread. And when I read that, if you're like me, I was like, what? (laughs) What does that mean? Okay. The showbread is what the priest placed in the temple on the table of the showbread that sat before the Holy of Holies. In the Fawcett commentary, the Hebrew meaning of the word show table or table of the faces or presence of God manifested. And that's the word that is used for purpose. In the Hastings commentary, this is very interesting. It says that showbread was a word coined by Tyndale. If you remember Tyndale, he produced a Bible and was executed for it 75 or 100 years before the King James translation was produced. And Tyndale coined a lot of phrases that you read in the King James. Passover is a phrase that he coined from the Hebrew into English. Atonement. At one moment, that's a word that he coined, and also showbread. And Tyndale, it says, coined that phrase, and he added that it's the word showbread because it was always in the presence and the sight of the Lord. And in 1 Samuel 21 and 6, when David's men ate the showbread, which was illegal, but the priests allowed him to do it because they were starving, the translation is literally, they took the presence bread, the showbread, from the presence of Jehovah, our Yahweh. So it's the presence bread. If you're like me, I'm studying this and it's still not connecting. (laughs) It's still not connected. What what does showbread have to do with God predestinated a people according to his purpose? Easton's Bible Dictionary says that in Exodus 25 and 30, it is the presence bread. In 1 Chronicles 9 32, it's the bread of ordering. In Numbers 4 and 7, it's the hallowed bread or holy bread. This bread consisted of 12 loaves. See if this sounds familiar. 
This brick consisted of 12 loaves made of the finest flour, flat and thin, no leaven in it, placed in two rows of six on a table in the holy place before the Lord. The six of the 12 represented the 12 tribes of Israel, right? That's easy to see. So how does the showbread relate to us? As I told you, eight times in the New Testament, it's purpose. And then four times, it's showbread. Hebrews 9 and 1 speaks of the tabernacle, the temple. And it says, of which we cannot speak specifically regarding these things. He said he's just kind of hitting the highlights. But he speaks of the table of the showbread that was in the tabernacle. This is the same word that's used for the purpose of God. Now here's how it connects. And pray for me to make sure I can help you convey how to connect it. Picture the temple. Picture the tabernacle. I mean, think about it. Folks like us couldn't even gotten in it. But... If you were a Jewish priest, a Levitical priest, and as you go in that tabernacle, you go in towards the west. Okay, and as you enter the area right before you get to the Holy of Holies where the curtain was, the thick, thick curtain that was there that was rent in two, divided in half when Christ died, gave up the ghost. The veil of the temple was rent in twain. As you go in and you see that big curtain that covers the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant is to your right on the north side of the temple or the tabernacle would be the table overlaid with gold of the showbread. And on that table that had a rim about it so none of the crumbs from the table would fall onto the ground when the priests ate that bread at the end of every seven days and replaced it with fresh bread, six and six. You had six loaves, and six loaves piled up together. And that bread was always beholding the Holy of Holies. Are you with me? What did Jesus say that he was when he came? He said, I am the bread of God that has come down from heaven. Everything in that temple represented something about Jesus Christ. Everything there pointed to the coming deliverance by the Messiah. And the bread of the face sat there and was in the face of the Holy of Holies, which was behind the curtain. And therefore, when Jesus died on the cross, it says that the veil of the temple was rent in twain. You understand that Jesus Christ came from the east, went to the west, and as the Spirit of God wafted him back into heaven where he was until the time of his resurrection three days and three nights later, I'm telling you, child of grace, he split that veil of the temple wide open to manifest that the Holy of Holies was now accessible. Because of the blood of Christ. Because of the bread of God. No more need for the showbread. Still, think about it. Use your spiritual thinking cap. He says, in whom we have an inheritance. Being predestinated according to the showbread of God. Are you with me? It's the showbread. It's Christ himself. That is the purpose of God. in setting your destination for heaven. So we don't go to the temple and we don't petition the priest to carry a lamb in there and enter the Holy of Holies once a year because Christ had the bread of God, the showbread, and literally when he came in bodily form, he was showing himself as the bread of God. You get that? I don't know if that touches you, but it touches me deeply. It took the Son of God, manifested in flesh. He becomes flesh in order to demonstrate himself as the bread of God. God's purpose, listen to me now, it's clearly seen in what Christ did. Because He's the showbread, you see? The purpose of God is expressed clearly through the showbread of God, which is Jesus Christ. 